Hi, I'm Gary and this is episode 135 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today we'll be looking at why journalists seem to have such a problem making EVs work for them and why this results in clickbait articles. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to see if any one of my regular listeners would like to become a patron. As a patron, alongside all the goodness of the current podcast, you get a couple of juicy little extras. You get ZapMap premium subscriptions, thanks to the podcast sponsor ZapMap. You get copies of both my ebooks, So You've Gone Electric and So You've Gone Renewable. And if you join at the VIP or All Access level, you also get early access to all podcasts on the Sunday evening rather than the Monday afternoon when the rest of the world gets them. You also get special patron-only episodes of the podcast which talk about some of the content in the current season, where I'm going next with the podcast, and what's in store for upcoming episodes and seasons. You also learn about upcoming guests, and get a chance to send questions in for those discussions, if you wish. I do occasionally throw out things like merchandise to my top contributors. Hi Marcel, how's the t-shirt? So if this appeals to you, why not follow the link in the description below or go to patreon.com slash evmusings and sign up. Our main topic of discussion today is EVs in the mainstream media. We all remember the story of the BBC reporter taking an original electric mini from London to Edinburgh back in 2011 and ended up charging for the best part of a day to do so. That story made the headlines and it highlighted two things. One, the charging infrastructure at the time was not fit for purpose and two, EVs at the time had very short ranges. But in the 11 years since that article came out, the state of the industry has moved on tremendously. But we're still getting articles from journalists, and I use that word advisedly, where they find themselves in difficulty trying to do long distances in an electric vehicle. And these articles get printed in distinguished newspapers, and the Daily Mail, with headlines like, I tried an EV and it was a disaster, or... EVs left me stranded in the middle of nowhere after poor infrastructure let me down. The main intention of these articles is twofold. Firstly, it's to get clicks. Good headlines get clicks, especially from people who might not understand nuance, data or reporting bias. And secondly, it's to try and muddy the waters when it comes to electric vehicles and the transition from fossil fuels. While many journalists pushing these stories out are just writing them for the second reason, there are those who work for, or are paid by, interests that are aligned with fossil fuel interests. you only got to look at articles such as that from the Daily Mail about EVs being another diesel scandal waiting to happen to realise that Bjorn Lomberg, the author and a climate sceptic widely criticised as a fossil fuel shill, is either cherry-picking data or just plain lying about things. The mail picks this up and it posts it, the readership don't look at or understand the detail, and the message EVs are the new diesel gate gets out into the public consciousness without a shred of critical thinking underneath it. It's thanks to people such as Alke Hoekstra, a Dutch climate researcher and academic at Eindhoven University, that we can put these debunked bits of information in context. But by then it's too late, the damage is done. We've talked about articles like this before on the podcast, And when you look into the detail behind many of them, especially the journalist gets an EV and makes a hash of it type articles, there's always some sort of gotcha in there that was somewhat self-inflicted and caused most of the problems. The main culprit is usually, I started off my 500 mile journey with about 50% in the battery. Once I see something like that, I know it's not a serious article. Only a couple of weeks ago, we heard from an LBC radio presenter with an e-tron GT 
who told the world of the issues he was having doing long distances with his car. This is a vehicle, I remind you, with a battery of 85 kilowatt hours and a range around 300 miles, who said he took many, many hours to do a relatively simple journey. But when you look at the detail, you find that he had issues using the most basic functions of his car, like opening the charger flap, and he also ended up plugging into AC connectors, which are considerably slower. Then there was the Wall Street Journal a reporter who wanted to take her Kia EV6, a car with 310 miles of range, from New Orleans to Chicago and back, about 2,000 miles, and said she spent as long charging as she did sleeping. Naturally, the detail revealed a couple of little things that meant she didn't do the right thing. Firstly, she checked her route using a better route planner, which showed her the quickest, ideal route to go on the trip. She then promptly ignored it and took a completely different route she hadn't planned. Surprisingly enough, she didn't know where the chargers were and ended up using, you guessed it, AC chargers, which surprisingly enough took a long time to charge. Commenters quite rightly pointed out that had she followed a better route planner and used the chargers she was recommended, she could have done the whole journey with a little more than a couple of hours on a rapid charger. But the bigger issue with these articles is not that they show a level of incompetence, or worse, willful misleading on the part of some reporters, but it's that these messages land with more impact on the EV hesitant than some of the more positive messages that channels such as I try to put out. I recently heard the phrase coined the Llewellyn-Clarkson continuum. It's an indication of where you are on the electric car journey. Are you a complete sceptic who believes EVs are the devil's work with batteries that die after three years and take days to charge? Or are you a complete convert who recognises the benefits of EVs and is fully committed to making this happen? If you're on either end of that scale, the clickbait articles won't matter. The Clarksons of this world are probably writing op-eds at the moment talking about how EV drivers are literally putting small children in the Democratic Republic of Congo in their graves after working them to death mining the cobalt for their batteries. The Llewellyns of this world know that child labour is not something that arose as a result of EVs, that cobalt is used in many, many other things than EV batteries, and that one of the biggest uses outside EV batteries is desulfurisation of petroleum products. But imagine if you were on the fence about EVs, probably near to halfway along the Llewellyn Clarkson continuum. How would that land? I hear they're good, but I don't know. Will I be able to do my yearly trip to Scotland from Essex? Gary's telling me he has no problem, but then again, he's been using these EVs for nearly four years now. But I'm new to this, and this reporter's just told me she couldn't do long distances because there weren't enough charges, and the ones she found were causing her an issue with speed. I, I don't want to spend eight hours waiting for a charger. You can see how the issue can arise, right? So, what do we do? Education. Remember, Every time someone says an EV can't do a long distance because of the charging infrastructure, you only have to point out the current Guinness World Record holder for the quickest trans-American crossing, coast to coast in a Porsche Taycan, stopping for just two and a half hours to charge. The record prior to that was an EV6, just like the one used for the New Orleans to Chicago debacle, and that stopped for seven and a quarter hours. That's a distance of over 2,880 kilometres. So an EV6 can do almost 3,000 kilometres with just seven and a quarter hours charging, and a Porsche Taycan can do the same distance, charging in less time than it takes you to have a good meal or watch most of an Avengers movie. All this without using the supercharger network. But there's also the people on the Tesla supercharging network who can do just about any journey they like without charging issues. And then 
in the UK, our very own friend of the podcast, Andrew Till, went Land's End to John O'Groats in his Ionic 5, and prior to that in his E-Nero, with no issue from a charging point of view. He then took his Ionic 5 to Italy and back. I myself have, on two occasions, done a thousand kilometres in a single day using just public fast charging. At no point in either of those journeys did I have a problem with finding a working charger. That is despite, in the second instance, going through the charging wastelands of Mid Wales and Lincolnshire and Cambridgeshire. You've only to cast your mind back to previous episodes of this podcast where we discuss taking long-distance journeys, planning for trips, charging little and often, to realise that the main barrier to effective EV ownership is a mental one, not a physical one. If you go into it thinking you'll run the battery down until it's in the red, pop it to the nearest charger and be charged again in a short while, however you define a short while, the chances are you're going to be disappointed. Now, am I saying that the infrastructure is infallible and that journalists are wrong with their reporting? No, I'm not. The infrastructure is expanding massively, but it's not keeping pace with the uptake of electric cars. As more and more drivers get onto the electric bandwagon, we're encountering more and more issues with broken charges and queues to charge. But in the almost four years I've been driving electric, I can honestly say I can count the number of broken charges on one hand and the number of times I've had to queue for a charger on the fingers of a mitten. Am I lucky? No. But I do improve my chances of finding available working charges by ensuring I plan ahead. But as more and more people join the EV revolution... They aren't going to want to plan ahead. Of course not. But cast your mind back to the early days of the internal combustion engine. Petrol was dispensed from drugstores then, and not all of them did that. Gradually, petrol pumps became available, but they were sporadically set up around the place, linked to shops such as general stores or hardware stores in the US. The first petrol filling station was created in St. Louis, Missouri in 1905. The second was in 1907, a full two years later. Does this sound familiar to anyone looking at places like the grid serve electric forecourts? This meant that anyone wanting to do a journey at that time would need to plan ahead. If they were living outside St. Louis, Missouri, chances are they'd be heading from hardware store to hardware store, hoping the pump was working and had gasoline. Sound familiar? Of course, since then, things have improved somewhat in the world when it comes to petrol stations. The US has 114,000, down from 121,000 20 years ago. The UK has a little under 8,500, down from 40,000 50 years ago. They've also expanded to become shops, service areas, coffee houses and off-license amongst other things. So perhaps that's what we've got to look forward to with charging stations. I do hope so. In the meantime, when it comes to negative stories on EVs, they all need to be taken with a pinch of salt. Clickbait sells. Andrew Till has a video out detailing his Land's End to John O'Groats trip and it has 20,000 views. The article from the Wall Street Journal where the journalist had issues with charging has been shared 36,000 times on Facebook alone. That's not including other social media platforms or articles that reference the story but link out to it via URL shorteners. Nor does it cover the people who read the article online directly on the Wall Street Journal webpage or via subscriptions. Had Andrew's video been entitled I tried to get from Land's End to John O'Groats on an EV that didn't have the range you wouldn't believe what happened next I can guarantee there would have been twice as many clicks than it got. Either way, it's almost impossible to complete with something like the Wall Street Journal or the Daily Fail or the Times when it comes to beating clickbait. We just have to try our best to educate after the fact. 
It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Long-time listeners to the podcast will know that I've turned the phrase the charging wastelands to describe those areas of the country where EV charging is, shall we say, less bountiful than elsewhere. One of these specific wastelands is North Yorkshire. So I was very glad to learn that North Yorkshire County Council have thrown their hat in the ring to get government funding for 70 chargers to be installed in rural areas around the county. It's part of the recently announced £400 million Local Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Fund. The charging points will be powered by renewable energy, including small-scale hydroelectric generators and solar panels linked to battery storage. The £2 million thereafter would enable the council to, to address the challenge of poor connectivity and the resulting lack of opportunities for communities in rural areas of North Yorkshire. I can't see this funding a huge number of rapid or high-powered chargers, but even a set of well-located and well-signposted destination chargers would help. Great work, Yorkshire. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? Well, if you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that, ko-fi.com. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great looking introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me Musing ZV with the words clickbait is the worst bait. Hashtag if you know you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know he's considering going back to university to get a doctorate. Probably going to study the chemical, chemical composition of batteries or something equally as interesting. And when I asked him what prompted this decision, I was expecting him to say it was the quest for knowledge or the need to better himself and help society. But no, he told me, it's thanks to people such as Alke Hoekstra, a Dutch climate researcher and academic at Eindhoven University. Thanks for listening. Bye.